Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. I just want to say on the top of this sermon that today's sermon is going to be talking about the image of the scroll and the slain lamb, which is which requires us to take a little bit of a deeper dive into the Bible and like really biblically what is being talked about here. Um, For those of you who are new to Christianity or who are not as familiar with the Bible, there might be times in the sermon when you're like, wait, what is going on? And, (laughs) And I think for one, like the Bible is always supposed to be a little mysterious. Like we're never supposed to fully understand the Bible. So you're in good company. And two, I would just invite you to really pray about what it means what it brings up in you uh, to to look at this image of a slain lamb and to consider what it means for the slain lamb to be like the driving metaphor for Jesus for God in this revelation. Um, so you're very welcome here. We're glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Today I was really excited to collaborate with Mayada in planning this worship service because I'm like Mayada you gotta play vapor. And Mayada and I kind of have an inside joke that like, we never need to be asked twice to put vapor into a worship service because we love it so much. But I was like, this has got to be a vapor Sunday, Mayada, because in the song Vapor, there's that line, kings become fools for you, kingdoms to ruins for you. And that is a reference to the scene where we're looking at today. Um, Between Revelation 4 and 5, there's kind of this like heavenly vision. We heard a little bit about it before in the throne sermon two weeks ago, where it's like, whoa, there's like animal angels, there are elders on thrones, there's like songs and rainbows, because of course there's rainbows. And uh, there's this really striking image right when we get to Revelation 5 of a scroll that is sealed seven times. A scroll that is sealed seven times. Now typical to Revelation fashion, this scroll can represent uh, many things simultaneously. I'll put some of these options here right now actually. So this, these are some of the options of what uh, scholars speculate um, uh, the scroll might represent. For the sake of this sermon, and frankly from just my own reading and seeing the different similarities, I think there is a striking similarity between what this scroll is talking about and the callback to Isaiah 20... and the callback to Isaiah 29. Because remember, no one does a callback like the Bible does a callback. So, if we look at Isaiah 29, we see a uh, prophecy against the city of Ariel, not the font, and, uh, it, and it's all about like kind of this intense uh, judgment or destruction of Ariel because of like uh, the hatred and the wickedness in that city. And so, um, uh, at the end of 29, we have this, um, line that says, 
So Isaiah wrote this thing, you know, oh Ariel, Ariel, uh, whoa, 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 because Isaiah has a lot of woes. My love is like whoa, and um, and at the end of uh, twenty nine eleven, it says, "This entire vision has become for you like the words of a sealed scroll." Hmm. When they give it to one who can read, saying, "Read this," then one will say, "I can't because it's sealed." And when the scroll is given to one who can't read, saying, "Read this," that one will say, "I can't read." Hmm. So just to recap, in Isaiah 29, there's this sense of like this sealed scroll that has certain wisdom or news that might be kind of destructive and scary, but still truthful, and it's sealed and no one can read it. And then right there in, <laughs> in Revelation 5, it says, I saw a powerful angel who proclaimed in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break it seals. So it does seem like there's a little bit of a rebel, classic revelation callback to Isaiah 29 here. And there's kind of this sense of like, if you imagine the scene, all of the rulers of the whole world, like 24 elders representing like a symbolic number representing like the totality of the leadership of humanity is coming around praising God. And all of the rulers, you can picture like every ruler in your head right now are around this throne. Uh, and there's this sealed uh, scroll and everyone is saying, I'm not worthy of opening up this sealed scroll. I'm not worthy of opening up the prophecy that is inside of it. This like ancient image of this scroll that our ancestors had thousands of years ago in the book of Isaiah is here and none of us are worthy to read it. And, um, and in Revelation 5, John starts crying because no one is worthy to open up the scroll. I only mention that simply because I like to celebrate any time that men show non-toxic masculinity. Men crying is a beautiful thing, and it's even biblical. So, <laughs> so, um, so that kind of cuts to where our reading came today where they were like, who is worthy of this? We have every, uh, like, all the most esteemed people, the most powerful people, the most authority folks. We have angels and, like, animals that are, like, combined body parts with tons of eyes. No one is worthy to read the scroll. What are we going to do? And then, like, the bass starts pumping, like, dun, 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 dun. get ready, everyone. Dun, 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 dun. It's time dun, 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 dun. for the Lion of Judah. And everyone turns around, and there's rice paper, and the Lion of Judah is backlit, and you can see the silhouette, and then burst through. And instead of being the Lion of Judah, it's a slain lamb. And everyone's like, oh. Not what I was expecting. And it's a slain man, lamb, like slaughtered, like what you do to a cow to get beef tacos is what this lamb looked like. And, uh, and <laughs> kind of like <laughs> Frankenstein over and was like, hey, uh, I, can, I can open that scroll. And this is such a, an important moment, I think, in the book of Revelation. If you're going to understand the book of Revelation, I really think 
that investing in this image of a slain lamb is really, really, really important because um, uh, a lot of the critique and like the hesitation that we have about Revelation, like for example, its portrayal of genocide, its hugely problematic images, particularly of women, we'll talk about that later on in the sermon series, like the fact that there's just like mass death and it's like, you know, whatever, it's just part of who we are. <laughs> like Revelation is super problematic. And I think that unless we understand this image of the slain lamb, it'll be hard to like start to approach those really graphic, intense images because there's this slain lamb that is like the central worship figure of all of heaven in this in this uh, view of Revelation. It, and it's kind of this moment that reminds me of like, if any of you have been to like Disneyland or Disney World or like any like child amusement theme park, there's usually something like the sword in the stone where they're like, could we get a volunteer? And they pick like a really like strong looking big guy. And they're like, okay, pull out the sword. And he's like, I can't do it. And then they get like a four-year-old girl with a wrist brace and she's like, ta-da, I can do it. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of like that dynamic where it's like, whoa, wait, wait, the strongest and the mightiest and the most violent and the, the most authoritative and the most privileged parts of creation can't open this signed, this sealed scroll. And yet, here comes the Lamb of God through the rice paper being like, yeah, I can do this. And everyone is in awe of what the slain lamb can do. Those of you who are in the Bible study who will be meeting this week uh, will read an article that really critiques the book of Revelation um, just in saying like it's replicating the empire by having empire imagery. So like Revelation is saying that the empires are all fallen, but then it puts God on a throne and like there's consolidated power and there's like a military that's associated with that. Like, is that not just replicating the empire? And I think uh, that is a very fair critique. And like the slain lamb feels like a really, really important like corrective or antidote to uh, to to the empire language that is present in the imagery because it's saying like there's a certain glorification of weakness in heaven that doesn't really happen on earth. There's a there's a way that like God in willingness to uh, uh, to die as a sinless person uh, by showing full vulnerability by showing full weakness is like somehow mightier or more capable of, of revealing truth to the world than anyone else. And I'm not talking about like Brene Brown, I shared a TED talk kind of vulnerability where it's like, oh, I, I just need to fight with my brother for a little bit. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we're talking vulnerability like everything is on the line. Like God is like every, uh, it, like you can kill me and like that level of vulnerability is like what is going to redeem the world. And that's like the holy mystery of it all, right? Like, like all of the scripture foretells of a lion of Judah 
the root of Jesse's tree. And then all of a sudden there comes this lamb that's like, this is the fulfillment of God's love somehow. And I think it's, just as an, uh, as an aside, as we're continuing to spiral into this image of a lamb, something else that's really important to me to name is um, the image of the lamb is also a callback. Um, those of you who are familiar with the story of Passover, um, of Exodus, uh, quiz time, can you remember the role of a lamb in the story of Passover? Type in your answers in three, two, one. So there was a lamb that um, during the plagues, if you saw like if you saw Prince of Egypt or anything like that, uh, there were plagues that were wiping people out, and the Jewish people were instructed to take a lamb, slaughter it, and then put the blood of that lamb around their door frame, so that this plague that was like uh, this sickness that was killing children wouldn't affect the Jewish people who did that. And that's called the Passover because the, the illness passed over uh, the Jewish people. Uh, probably a more accurate term would be like Israelite people at that point, not Jewish. So like the whole point is that every year the Israelite people, later the Jewish people, would celebrate Passover by slaughtering a lamb to remember the liberation of God. This lamb is a celebratory symbol of the liberation of God. It's like somehow through the blood of this lamb, people entered into a type of freedom from bondage that wasn't possible before. And so here's this lamb, and people, um, some scholars think that the lamb is a symbol of uh, ritual atonement sacrifices, which is like where a lot of like more conservative uh, blood theology comes from. Like, we needed the blood to cleanse us from our sin. Like, that's atonement theology. Um, I think, you know, there's a place for that. But I think that what is clearly being referenced here is the lamb as the symbol of liberation. Like, the blood of this lamb, which, like, centuries ago had been a mark on the doorframe of people who are becoming liberated, is now kind of just like bleeding everywhere. <laughs> the blood of the lamb is like getting on all of the whole world and all the people. Everyone's like, you? Okay, thanks. But it's like everyone is receiving the Passover. Everyone is being freed from bondage. Everyone is being unenslaved. And that's why people start like praising God. Like this, there, there are three levels of songs in Revelation 5 of three expanding groups of people starting to praise this slain lamb, the liberator Christ, who's like, wow, yeah, like this Christ is so, um, uh, uh, is so prophetic and liberating us that like we have to like fall to our knees. We have to cast our crowns. We have to become like, the kings have to become fools because this lamb is liberating us, is setting us free. I think, just to pause here, like, imagine the worst, most painful things in your life being solved or liberated, you being liberated from them, freed from them, all of a sudden. And it coming not from, like, this, like, gallivanting, swagger uh, with swords and just being able to like ditch whatever issues you're facing 
but rather like this like image of precious weakness, of smallness, of vulnerability, of bleeding <laughs> everywhere, saving you. Like, I, I just think about the world shift of like, you know, we're, we're always talking about how we need a stronger economy and we need these like mega plans to solve all of our really big problems. And of course I agree with that. But I think the queerness of what Jesus is saying is like, sometimes the small, vulnerable display of, of weakness is what will solve the greatest empire problems in our time. Uh, so, so there's this lamb and there's, like I said, there are three kind of like concentric circles of people who start worshiping God. And so first off is the elders and the angels, which may be the leaders of the world, like I said, or may also be um, like figureheads of the tribes of Judah and, um, yeah, <clears throat> but like important people, VIPs, uh, start worshiping God and they're like, woo, yeah, I love God. And then the text says, you'll read it in the workbook, um, that thousands and thousands of people joined the song. Like, wow, like this groundswell of thousands of people singing all at the same time to God. And then it talks about every created creature praising this lamb of liberation. Every created creature, not just even limited to humans, but anything created started worshiping God. This, I think, is actually a really interesting theological note in uh, the book of Revelation. Like, the image of all the world praising God in Revelation 5 is one of the reasons why I believe that everyone will get to heaven. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that this whole, like, bifurcation of, like, this person will go to heaven, this person will go to hell, like, certainly there's scriptural precedence to that, but I think what we'll see is that the, uh, certainly the revelation imagination is like everyone is in heaven worshiping God. And that doesn't mean that the suffering and the injustice present in our world is off the hook. Like sometimes I'm hesitant, <laughs> confession, sometimes I'm hesitant to be like, yeah, I believe everyone's getting into heaven. Because oftentimes the reaction to that is like, well, then I'm good then. I'll just live however I want, however, like, racist and rape culture and whatever that I want to. No, 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 no. And it's like, nah, just because you're getting to heaven doesn't mean that you get a get-out-of-jail-free card for living in whatever destructive way you can. And I think that that's the dynamic between the lamb and the scroll. Like, the lamb gathering all of created beings coming together to worship God is, like, all of us, like, God's blood is enough for all of us, not in like an, an atonement, God was going to beat us up like an abusive boyfriend, but then Jesus saved us kind of way, which is honestly what gets preached a lot. But God's blood, like the blood of the lamb over the Passover, that's saying we are being passed over from the consequences of our hateful actions that we are due. And that is worth worshiping God for. Um, so, like, there's that kind of that dynamic, but then there's also this scroll that's saying, but here, let me show you what would have happened if God's love wasn't greater than your hatred. Let's just show you what would have happened. Let's just explore what would happen if God's love wasn't greater than all of the ways that humanity keeps messing up. And so this lamb opens the scroll, and, like, 
if you're familiar with Revelation, it's like from this point on, from chapter 5 right up until like 18, 19, it's rough. It's violent and very, very graphic and um, kind of like shocking how terrible everything goes. Like it's like mass death huge earthquakes, locusts that just suck, and like everything scary happens after Revelation 5. But I believe the dynamic of this is like, this is a prophetic text saying, this is what human beings without the love of God generate on their own. Like, as if it wasn't clear enough with how the empire crucified Jesus, now we're going to see how hum the empire will crucify all of us. And that's like what the bulk of Revelation is about. And I think that it, that's why it's such a tough pill to swallow. Churches hate reading between Revelation 5 and Revelation 19 because it's so graphic. But I think that the slain lamb is saying like, we need to understand the nature of human empire and like the way that that is manifest in all of us if we are to really understand how great the love of God is. And so, um, right after this image, uh, there's the, um, uh, the, the lamb starts like flicking off the seals of the scroll, which I think is such a sassy moment because it doesn't do like all seven at the same time. It's like one, two, three. And with each seal, a different, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is, a very like popularized image come out and it's like these horsemen represent the the internalized what are you going to call it sin demon empire shame spirals uh ego trip like whatever you want to call it like these horsemen are representing how human beings betray each other and uh you know there's the horseman that's like i will convince people that they want to kill each other and that's the horsemen of war. You know, it's like just amazing. These demons, these horsemen are like, are an external graphic representation of the things that we have to figure out in our internal life. Otherwise we will be doomed to do the very things that these horsemen are doing. Isn't that, I, so like, I think that this is really, 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 really important for us to understand because it's like, there's kind of this sense in Revelation of like universal, all of us are saved by the love of God. All of us are passed over by the, the um, because of the blood of the lamb. And all of us are to, um, all of us have work to do. All of us are culpable and all of us have internalized things. I think that this is a really bold choice for an author who is living in extremely oppressed uh, great uh, suffering in his life. He's witnessing Christians experiencing great suffering. Um, some of the history says that John, the guy who wrote this, was eventually executed by being boiled alive in oil for being Christian, right? Like, he's writing this from prison because he was imprisoned for being Christian. Like, in some intense images. But God, he's not ultimately saying that, like, the empire are the people who jailed me and I'm one of the like sacred good ones. Instead he's saying like, are the um, things that we're up against are like the horsemen, are the demons, are a beast. 
And all of those horsemen, demon, beast images ask 100% of the readers to, to start wondering, am I, have I been dealing with my inner four horsemen? Have I been recognizing the beast that is alive and, pre and active in me? So it's kind of like all of us are saved and all of us have work. And that's the, what the invitation to the Christian life is. And just to show how high those stakes are, John writes like a very graphic, cathartic, violent uh, poetry apocalypse to demonstrate it. And I know all of this sounds pretty epic because, hello, we're reading an apocalypse, which is like by definition trying to be epic. <laughs> but really, I think that you'll find the central image, the constant invitation that what John is inviting people to is worship. The, the elders, the thousands, all of creation worshiped God, worshiped Christ. And like the practice of worship, the practice of loving God, love training, conditioning your heart to love God, like is the response, is the appropriate response to the worst that the empire has to throw at us. And I think that's really important because worship is how we embody the glorification of weakness ourselves. As we sing these songs, you know, like um, up next after this, we're going to sing a song about the poor and powerless. And our opportunity, our invitation is to discover the weakness within ourselves and offer that to God and know that like even the weakest part of ourselves are the most satisfying offerings to God. And that's what it means to be among the saints and elders worshiping God, even when there's tons and tons of stuff that we must endure and persist in as people dedicated to collective liberation. That, that is kind of like the discipleship theme of all of Revelation. Like, we must simultaneously worship God with weakness and tenderness and love while persisting with endurance and strength and courage. And we'll see throughout the rest of this sermon series how exactly those two things went together. Blessings to all of you in all of our strength and all of our weakness.